Welcome back to the Obsessible Podcast. On this show, I talk TV and movies like I would with my girls, my colleagues, my booze and my base, my peoples, my persons. And this is episode three of my Wheel of Time review series. I hope that you guys have been enjoying listening to these reviews as much as I have enjoyed recording them for you. And I really hope that you guys have been enjoying the show as well because, I mean, we wouldn't be here talking about The Wheel of Time if it wasn't for the show. Could also totally be talking about the books. It's not like this is net new property, but okay, whatever. You know what I mean. Um, Anyway, so we are on episode five. That was what was released, and that's what this review is about, titled Blood Calls for Blood. Um, And episode five was definitely a lot to handle, and I'm already an emotional person, so y'all, this episode hit me right in the feels. Uh, Between the opening where Alana is singing and the um, singing during the burial of the fallen Aes Sedai and the the King of Giladon, to a highly anticipated reunion between characters and also a highly anticipated character introduction, on top of that, add Stefan's grief and Eamon Valdez's monstrosity of a personality and belief system and just everything that is monstrous and Eamon Valda. I literally was choked up from the word go when I wasn't boiling with rage. And also love to shout out the fact that this episode was directed by Sally Whitfield Richardson. Huge fan. If you don't know you should go ask somebody about her, okay? Um, can't wait to break it all down with you. In each episode, I do a breakdown and review of the episode that we just watched. So I'll be reviewing episode five and breaking it down. I follow that up with my favorite character moment. Then I follow that up with a hated character moment. So a character I hate and a moment that they had in the episode that I want to talk about. Um, then I rate the episode and I wrap it all up with Twitter me laughing, featuring some of the best tweets I, I have come across about the show. If you're new here, welcome. I am your host, Nicole, also known as Nikki to my besties. And if you're listening, we are now totally besties. Thank you so much for being here. Tell another friend so we can keep building this tribe. Also, don't forget to subscribe and follow. We are actually winding down the series. I can't, I can't even believe it. I felt like it just started and we're going to end up wrapping the week of Christmas. So we just have less than 10 days. What? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Something like that. What day is it? 11 days? Something. Uh, There are only three episodes left and I'm literally gutted (laughs) because I'm gutted, but then at the same time, I'm just going to like binge it all together and watch and rewatch. Even though I have watched and rewatched these episodes so many times, like by the time I'm done, this is probably going to rival my most watched series of all time, which is Game of Thrones and Bridgerton, which is coming in as my most watched season one ever. I know that was surprising, right? Because over here, that's totally romance and this is fantasy and fantasy is my favorite genre. But yeah, <laughs> Bridgerton is probably my most watched season one like of a series ever. Um, anyway, so we are winding down and we are wrapping up, but we're not there just yet. It's all happening really, really fast. Just want to let you know, warning, there will be spoilers for the books and for the show on these episodes. So I definitely encourage you to watch first and then come back and take a listen. You know what time it is. It's time to go and grab a snack, grab a drink, go for a walk, cozy up in your favorite favorite place, go get the dog, go get your friends, 
tell a neighbor that this is what you're about to listen to and get in on this journey with me as we discuss episode five of the wheel of time let's go long time since you've been home. Do you still think of it as home? Don't you? This saddle, this home, this cloak, these boots, this brooding man at my side. <laughs> is she ready for... I really feel like that is the epitome of Moraine. <laughs> that whole introduction that whole statement about what she considers home where she considers home who she considers home is so moraine because she's so focused on her mission so wherever she needs to be in order to get it done is what home is for her what allows her all the things and people and places that allow her to do what she needs to do is home for her that is moraine a hundred percent um and I absolutely love that moment. And I thought it was perfect um, as the moment that I'm choosing to use to introduce my episode review. This was definitely a deep breath episode. It was one of those that happens in order to move the plot along in a show. It usually involves setting up elements for the characters that we will either see play out in the final episodes of the season or in future seasons as a lot hangs in the balance at the end. From what I know of things that happen in the books, this episode sets the characters up for some in major ways and you'll see much of what happens in episode five come back on our heroes and our zeros. Zeros are clearly people that I hate. <laughs> characters that I hate. Anyway, there will be comeuppance for everybody or not necessarily comeuppance, but definitely consequences. Um, so in the cold open, we find ourselves with the remaining Aes Sedai as they prepare to honor and bury their dead. It is literally a beautiful, haunting, and emotional scene, especially watching Stepin carry Kareni and lay her body in the grave, which I'm not going to lie, they seemed, those graves seemed a little shallow to me, no? Like, from an overhead shot, visually stunning, beautiful, the fact that they had all of the bodies in a circle and an inner circle, obviously representing the Wheel of Time. Um, and the fact that they're, they're in their belief system, those souls will inhabit the earth again. So it all kind of ties back into the whole concept of the show um, and was really beautiful. But I was like, yeah, animals are going to be at those bodies in a blink of an eye. Like those are graves are way too shallow. Um, you can also see in these scenes a real sense of concern that Lan and Maureen are having for each other as they watch Stepan and Kareni. And they are observing this thing that obviously is extremely troubling to a warder and, and their Aes Sedai, having to see someone else experiencing it. It kind of feels really close to home for them. And both of them can really, like, are having these moments of only imagining what that loss must feel like because they know that the other feels everything that the other feels. So, you know, having... Um, having one of them die would just be absolutely devastating, like absolutely devastating. Um, yeah. So after that, we get our first real time jump. As Aes Sedai and a now very depressed Loghain are making their way back to Tarvalon and approaching, as they are approaching the city, we see that they have been traveling for a month. Moraine tries to kind of 
get this sense of the relationship that is blossoming between Lan and Nynaeve. But Lan seems to be indifferent or at the least kind of closed mouth on the subject, offering no real opinion on the wisdom, um, while deflecting to the point to point out that Nynaeve is concerned about Stepin. And personally, I think we all should be concerned about Stepin. Uh, we also have the, we also get to see that Ran and Matt are going to be the first to arrive in Tarvalon in terms of the Emmons fielders who are traveling by themselves with no guidance. Um, though somewhere along the way, they seem to have lost their horses and there's no explanation for that. As in keeping with the books, they walk into the first real city that they have ever seen. Although it is not the same city as in the, in the books. This is a massive change. Um, by not having them arrive in the same city as in the books, it definitely causes certain character introductions to be delayed. And these are ma major characters, okay? Like these are these are people that ride throughout the whole story, okay? So for them to decide to make this delay is actually a really interesting change for me. And I'd like to really see what I haven't. I don't quite understand it yet. Like other changes they've made, I understood them. After I got over the shock, I understood them really quickly and why the change was made. This change, I'm not quite sure about yet. Um, and I'm sure we'll see why they did it, but I haven't quite figured that out yet. In any case, um, we get a glimpse of the city. And it is from a distance, especially the purview of, like, the view of that Rand has from the overpass like it's looking out over this beautiful island city and uh you get to see dragon mount in the back as well which was just like as a reader so awesome and even rand's admission um of having seen the 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 mountain was just kind of like this throw away throw away moment but definitely something you should pay attention to um and i just thought that was it would just look beautiful. It was just so stunning. And then when you actually get into the city, though, I was kind of like, hmm. this is definitely a physical set. They definitely built this. Um, and I, although I really like the production design and I like the look of this city, there's something about it that gives it this feeling of fakeness, maybe like something that's not really real. And I think it's probably just because it's really oversaturated and maybe they just need to like thin out the colors a little bit, if you know what I mean. Like, if that makes sense, it just, it almost feels fake. I don't know. It, it, that's just me, anyway. Um, and it's totally forgivable, you know, as the story goes, because it just overall looks really good. But I just have these moments where it's like, mm, I just feel like I would like it to look a little, a little less daytime television. I don't know how else to explain it. <laughs> I digress. So Matt looks like death walking, like literally death walking. And considering that the, he's carrying this evil, um, that isn't far from the truth. Like he is carrying it with him and it is now seeped into his body and is making him very, very sick. Rand is obviously very worried about his friend and he finds himself having to reassure Matt, who seems to have gotten it into his head, that he was the one responsible for the deaths of the family at that homestead from, from episode four. Rand, being his boy, obviously is attempting to put those fears to rest, but by telling him that he knows that it was a fade and that obviously Tom agreed to that too. Um, and then we get this direct reworking of a quote from the book in that moment where Matt says that Tom's not here and that he's likely dead. 
It's not quite the quote, but it's very close. Um, and I really liked seeing them pull something directly out of the book like that. Um, right now, Barney is nailing his portrayal as Matt. We're going to miss him in season two. He's not sure what happened with the casting there, but just to let you guys know, the character, the actor who's playing Matt right now will not be returning for season two. He has been recast. So this does happen a lot on shows like this. Um, it, it happens in any case. We're getting a new Matt and I hope that he can live up to what Barney is doing because Barney is absolutely killing him. I also just would like to point something out that the fact that Matt found his way into the bed in the inn once they get to the inn after being on the road for a month and not likely washing at all in that entire time was literally gross to me. Like I was like, yuck, yuck. And granted, he's losing his mind and he's under some spiritual spell, whatever. I know, I know, I know, but it's still gross. Like, ew, go find a tub and wash some of that filth off of you, man. Like, Rand is no better because he didn't go bathe either. Okay, so here's a pet peeve. I absolutely dislike when writers don't add basic human things like eating and bathing into stories. Like, you just have these characters running around, sweating up a storm, doing things, talking to each other, and not once do you put them in a bath. Like, seriously. Like, people don't live like that. They they go, they bathe. <laughs> You know, like they have cleaning rituals. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, I mean, I just, I just have trouble with it because I can suspend belief for only so long because let's be real, they would literally be smelling like dead dogs by this point in their journey. And that, that can't be cute. Like that can't be cute at all. So we get the group entering Tarvalon. It's hard for me not to call it Tarvalon because... That is how it was pronounced in the audiobook that I was listening to. So I'm like consciously calling it Tarvalon. <laughs> I'm being very like intentional about how I say that word. But um, anyway, so they have entered Tarvalon and I can clearly see that this is, like I was saying, it's like, like that it was a really, really, really full set. Um, and I really liked the fabrication of it. I loved the views of it from a distance. I just, I thought it was beautiful because it's very close to how I pictured it. And, um, yeah, it's just a beautiful whole, like the whole area that they're filming in is gorgeous. All the scenery is absolutely, absolutely stunning. But guess what, guys? Nynaeve is in the tower. Nynaeve is in the tower. The White Tower. How freaking cool of a moment. Um, those are like, these are like the moments that we as a fan, as fans of the books wait for. And although her arrival doesn't happen in the same way that readers experienced it, it doesn't matter because she's there, y'all. Like, it's happening. She's there. Oh. Um, also, we are seeing real, real tower politics come to the forefront in this episode as well. Like, it appears that Moraine has some enemies in the tower, but baby, what they're about to be is up for a rude awakening. They don't know who Moraine is. They don't know who her allies are. They're about to find out, though, okay? Sis is not out here up in these streets doing these things all by herself. She got her peoples. Um, I love that they don't, and I love that nobody really knows the real depths of Moraine's character. She's holding precious secrets, obviously, but she's holding them for a reason. And again, with Alana... Like, she has this a moment with Alana and Alana is kind of warning her of what the changes have been in the tower because she's been away for so long and how it's not really the same type of place that she remembers it to be. But I want to dislike Alana. I've said this already and 
she just gives me, he continues to give me reasons to like her. And I'm like, oh, Alana, dang it. Someone who I don't have no problem disliking because they're not doing anything to cause me to like them is Leandrin. Um, she's really playing up her machinations. One, one by trying to get more rain to give up the tea. And she did it by like, I literally think she was flirting with her, which I was like, babe, if you don't go on and sit down somewhere. Then when she rolled up on Nynaeve, who of course, once she gets there, is told, don't go anywhere, don't talk to anyone. But of course, Nynaeve, being Nynaeve, leaves her room and does end up getting found by Leandrin. The good thing about that is that Nynaeve is really, she knows people and she's she's not really, she's not going to easily be taken in by by Leandrin's manipulations. She obviously sees right through her. And I really was grossed out by her, that final statement about the persimmons being in season. And then that stupid, creepy smile that she has. I was like, oh, yuck. I just want to slap that crap off of her face. Like, get the hell out of here. Back to Stefan. 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 <laughs> Vampire Diaries. Back to Stefan. So they're all back in the tower. Nynaeve is in the warders section of the tower grounds. Um, Stepin is going to be experiencing a ritual. He is, he has worked basically, he's basically stayed alive to get back to the tower so that he could do this thing for, for Kareni. And, um, there were these scenes with Lan and, uh, Lan and Alana's warders who are like preparing Stepin for this ceremonial return of Kareni's ring to the flame, which I thought was really dope and gave a such like a beautiful insight into the water eyes to die relationship. I love that Stepin was open about his reverence for Kareni and his story about how she found him and that he wanted to be worthy of her and he worked at that. Um, it kind of also adds to his sense of grief. Like we really kind of see what that grief is as he talks about her um, and their history together. In hindsight, I really feel like the entire episode does feel as though Stepin is preparing to say goodbye to everyone, and I didn't have much hopes for how it would play out for him. Um, I didn't think that he would long survive the episode. Like, I, like I, I just really didn't. As for Lan, I don't think you guys know. Like, well, of course you don't. So let me just tell you, I was a mess. I was a mess. Okay, I was a mess. Daniel Henney absolutely put it all on the line in this episode. He ate his scenes up and left no crumbs. Like, none, honey. Okay? Like, this is definitely a for-your-consideration episode, you know? Um, even the silent scene between Lan and Moraine after Lan leaves Stepin's ritual is flawless. Like, it's just so beautiful. He goes to find Moraine, and he just kneels at her feet and takes her hand, and they just look at each other, don't even say a word. I love that scene. It's so poignant, and really, really does set us up for some future plot tools. <laughs> I'm going to try that up again. It really just set us up for a future plot twist that we, we're we not going to be ready for. We're just, we're just not. Okay. Uh, then we get a chance to meet a really loved character of the series. His name is Loyal. And that's because he is loyal. Like, how doggedly loyal. Um, and he is portrayed by, I hope, please forgive me for this last name butchering, okay? Uh, but Hamed Animashan. Animation, I think is his last name, but I don't care because he's killing it as Loyal. Um, I'm not in love with the character design because Loyal is not human. He's an ogier and he's the first non-human, non-malevolent character that we meet because there are other non-human 
but very malevolent characters uh, that we have already met in the orcs and in the thing not the orcs how about we get out of lord of the rings territory i'm reading that book right now and clearly it's influencing me uh not orcs but the trollocs um and uh the fades so ogier non-malevolent non-human characters uh, Loyal has such a very specific character description, and I knew that he was not going to look exactly like he was described. So it took a minute, like, I was just like, oh, what? Okay. Um, okay. <laughs> like, that's literally <laughs> how I was reacting to the episode, because I just was like, what? I don't, okay. But then, after watching, I was pleasantly surprised. He was perfect as Loyal. All of the nuances of the character were fully realized. This also brings us a, um, brings us a reunion as Loyal is the one who finds Nynaeve by going to the White Tower, which I was like, oh my God, this is so good. There are a lot of conversations between Loyal and everyone. And so that is a, a lot of dialogue, a lot of description. As you can see, Loyal is very, very loquacious. He uses every single word he can think of, and he talks a lot, almost absent-mindedly talking, um, even when people have stopped listening. Um, and just even his whole thing about humans being so hasty, and which is his constant, his constant struggle, is that humans are so hasty. And I just, when he's around, and he's kind of always like baffled by their behavior because they're, they're always rushing off into things and. Yeah, so I just, I loved getting to meet Loyal finally and officially. Um, and like I said, Hamid is nailing, nailing, nailing the character. Um, back to Rand and Nynaeve. Okay, so Rand and Nynaeve's relationship is, they literally have one of the best relationships in the books. It's both trusted advisor um, to mentee, but also real friendship relationship and the scene that follows their reunion where Nynaeve is talking to Rand about Egwene is really just a glimpse into how their relationship is and how it's going to evolve. Um I I love them. Like and Rand needs Nynaeve um and she chooses him. So I just I'll just put that I'll just put that out there. Like she chooses him. And I love, I love that for them. They need each other, for sure. They need each other. Speaking about Egwene, my girl Egwene, she and Perrin are removed by force from the traveling people's carav caravan by the White Cloaks. As a book reader, I knew this was coming. I didn't know how they were going to go about portraying this particular part of the story. Um, but it was definitely far worse than I expected. Definitely far worse. Um, to... To let you know, this scene originally takes place with Joffrey Bornhold, who is the white cloak that asks everyone to dismount when the characters are first introduced, like back in like episode one. Um, but this change, having it happen with Aemon Valda was definitely a good turn. Um, it was definitely more profound. Uh, that man is a monster. Like he's a monster. You can see that he completely believes in what he's saying when he's torturing Perrin. Um, and part of it is like, makes you wonder. Like, he's so good. The actor who's portraying him is so good at it, at, at doing his job of portraying this evilness. You kind of wonder, is he just 
wicked like he's just wicked for the sake of being wicked like he's just doing the things he's doing for the sake of doing it not necessarily because he believes what he's saying but then also at the same time you're like fam you really believe what you're saying <laughs> you know? like he gives it he makes it so real like you really think that he believes what he's saying um also to know the reason that the white cloaks not all the white cloaks but this segment of the white cloaks the questioners are parked on the road to Tarvalin, which is actually from the books, because he actually was separate from Joffrey Bornhold, and he was outside of Tarvalin in the books as well, is because he's attempting to intercept women who he believes can channel before they can get to the tower. So that is literally what he's doing. He cannot just go out and uh, like outright attack the tower because it would cause a war. He knows it, and he also knows that they would lose. <laughs> they would lose, right? Um, cause Tarvalin, Tarvalon is not just a city. It's also a country. It's almost like Washington DC city state. So yeah, like he can't go just doing whatever he wants, though it does seem like he operates with impunity and there does need to be some sort of justice for him. And don't worry, there is, there will be for sure. Um, Okay, so Egwene, being Egwene, she showed up and showed out. Like, I love how her and Perrin were working so hard to protect each other. I love their friendship. I also feel as though this was the right time for Perrin to unburden himself of the guilt that he feels over the death of Layla. So he does end up going, um, he does end up telling Egwene what he did. So that answers the question that I had as to whether or not Egwene knew about it beforehand because I, I had mentioned that in my last episode that I thought she already did know but she didn't. So Egwene, you know, she's out here Egwening and just letting people know that she is a force to be reckoned with and as Nynaeve says, unbreakable. I love that moment when I, Nynaeve says that about her. Um, it's because of her that they escape but a major moment for Perrin happens in this scene as he's being tortured his golden eyes emerge leaving all of us with tons of questions as to what that will mean how it will actually manifest and we've been waiting for this to happen wolves to the rescue listen ain't no pack like a wolf pack honey okay parents pack shows up and does what needs to be done this is huge for Perrin and will be very very integral to everything that he does going forward literally everything i didn't love the fact that valda didn't get his neck broken and then stabbed repeatedly and then burned at the stake but you know hey you know there's there's this story that there's more story that needs to be told and i guess this guy needs he's needed going forward i i accept the fact that he's needed going forward but i really wanted him to die horribly horribly i appreciate the scene for the results and I don't mean Eamon living. Like, he could have died. Um, like, 1,700 deaths. Then, we're back at the tower. It's morning, and Lan discovers that Stepin has drugged him. And he runs off to find him, only to, to discover his body too late. Which, this from this moment, I was just like, done for. Done! Okay. Uh, the funeral rites that follow are nothing short of heartbreaking. Like, absolutely devastating. Daniel Henney went for it in this scene where as part of the rite, he takes on the grief of all of the warders. It is powerful. It is a, it's an emotional performance and it literally had me weeping right along with Lana Moraine. 
Um, I also really love that there was this moment where they flashed to Nynaeve and you can clearly see that she doesn't know what to do. Like, she's like, do I go to him? Do I not go to him? Do I stand here? And then she's completely overwhelmed, which is not like, that's not something you get from Nynaeve a lot. I love, I actually like, I, I'm really loving this Nynaeve. Love this Nynaeve. There's more to her. There's far more to her than the Nynaeve in the books. And I know I've already said that, but this is one of those moments that really shows that there's there's more to her. And you know that. You know that going in anyway. She's not a perfect character. She's very layered. She's nuanced. But she's just not as misguided and stubborn and miserable <laughs> in, this, in the show as she is in the books. And she's not all of those things all of the time, but it's just, it can she can be, she can wear you down. <laughs> the way she's written in the book can wear you down. Just... Trust me on that if you haven't read the books, but totally go read the books and decide for yourselves. Um, but I love that moment. She's like, I don't know what to do. This episode was definitely all about Lan. This, this episode was all about Daniel Henney's performance, Stepin's performance. And um, it's just worthy of all the accolades. Even Eamon Valda, the actor who plays Eamon Valda, their, his performance was on point. Like this, this episode was about the performances these characters gave what they need these actors gave what they needed to give they did what needed to be done and i really 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 ended up enjoying this episode over a lot overall even though it wasn't so full of action as episode four but like i said it's a deep breath episode and we need that because we need these characters to move the story forward and just to set things up for things that are going to happen in the future and i think they did an excellent job of doing that with this episode up next favorite character moment chase me all the way across the city waving knives i'm afraid i was almost beginning to get a little upset i tell you it was not for this i left the studying studying you're an ogre ogre loyal son of Arndt, son of halan and who are you Rand. And I thought your name sings in my ears, Rand Althor. <laughs> it is quite exciting for me to know you. I've read much of your people. I'm not an human. Really? Red hair is one of the few physical traits that can help you work out where a human is from. I'm from the two rivers. An human from the two rivers. I'm not an human. An human from the two rivers who insists that he is not an human. That is very odd. I like other things. That is such a loyal moment. Loyal's like, listen, you is what I say you is, and that is what you is. I don't care why you saying that. Like, it's just it's so him. It's so him. But loyal. <laughs> I told you guys that I'd be watching non-reader reaction videos on YouTube, right? And I told you guys that my favorite channel is Everyday Negroes. They, when watching this episode and reacting to it, when Loyal was introduced, they gave Loyal a new name. His nickname now is Brother Book. Listen, I hollered when they called him Brother Book because that is, that is the best random nickname given for just meeting a character like ever. Like they're really good at giving names to our characters. And Brother Book is now what we officially call loyal in the fandom. It is absolutely amazing. Nailed it. 
Um, I love this scene and I love Hamid in this scene with Rand. Rand is like, oh my God, what are you? But wait, hold on. I think I do know what you are. And he is like educating Rand quickly, immediately. This is who Loyal is. Like he has so much information, so much knowledge because he reads so much and he knows what he knows. Like it is what it is. That's why I was like, Rand is like, I'm not an Ayyuman. He's like, yeah, you is. <laughs> You're an Ayyuman from the two rivers. It's interesting that you don't think that you're an Ayyuman, but you are. I don't care what you say. <laughs> I love it. Which totally calls into question some things, right? Immediately calls some things into question. But we're loving the moment so much that we don't really pay attention to what it is that Loyal is actually saying to Rand. But <laughs> quiet is kept. You should pay attention. Love that. This, this was my favorite character moment from the episode. Up next, most hated character moment. Yeah. Open your eyes, child. That's better. All covered up. Hands. issue with the white cloaks one not only women can channel obviously we know that men can channel as well that has not changed just because Sidin has been corrupted does not mean that Sidin cannot be accessed okay so this i'm called here to stamp it out woman by woman first of all you're leaving out half the people who can do it the, the, and here's the other thing. The half that you're leaving out are hunted down by the same women that you're calling evil and saying shouldn't even be allowed to do whatnot. So what, what, what for, from the jump, the foundation of your belief is completely, utterly, totally misguided. Like what? If in fact, 
the ability to channel the one power comes from the dark one because we know they believe in the dark one in this in this iteration in the show the white cloaks believe in the dark one believe in trollocs believe in fades know that that exists then why do Aes Sedai not work in direct conjunction openly with the dark one fades are open dark friends for the most part are open um, for the no not really actually dark friends are not open at all sorry guys guys i take that back um to each other they're open um and that depends on who the dark friend is but like you understand what i'm trying to say he's so full of his own crap and i oh abdul abdul you are killing this role and i hate you for it I wish I could say I love that you're killing it, but I, I, I just, your character is a monster and I hate the fact that you're doing so well at this. I really hate it. I also hate that the fact that you're a dark skin, like a very dark skin brother. You are probably one of the darkest people on the show and you also happen to be the most evil. And I really actually dislike that. Like, it, what do they say when you, when you finally start seeing things for what they are? Like, good God. Anyway, but, um, waves on swim, but can't hate you. I, I, but I hate you. I hate you. That's it. That is all. Can't stand you. Um, and he's not redeemable, by the way. He's not redeemable. And I actually had this really f amazing conversation on Twitter about how evil is represented in the books. There's multiple types of evil. And I think you guys are starting to pick up, for those of you watching the show, you're starting to pick up on the fact that there is this, this multitude of evil, right? And, or different layers of evil. So you have the evil of Shadar Logoth. You have the evil, which is different from the evil of the Dark One. And then you have people, you have dark friends who have sold their soul to the Dark One or committed to that evil. But then you have evil like Aemon Valda, who believes that what he's doing and what he thinks is the right thing. Committing evil atrocities, evil acts, you know, as, you know, if one could be so bold, um, in the name of something that they believe is greater or in the name of something that they believe is good, right? There's that level of evil. Then there's a, just another level of I'm doing the right thing evil um, and I'm just completely wrong. Like it's ignorant evil because the person, though they're not out here torturing people, there are characters who are not out here torturing people and um, and hurting people physically, but they're evil in another way because they are ignorant and they don't believe the things that people are saying to them, even though those things are true. And then they discount those things and they make these poor decisions based on those things that end up costing them and other people their lives. So there's that level of evil. The book is Robert Jordan and Brandon Sanderson are do a phenomenal job of showing the multiple layers of, of evil throughout humanity in this series. It's it's fantastic. Um yeah, they do a really, 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 really good job of it. Carrie Ann Inarvin. So 
for the official rating of episode five, I'm going to give it four out of five stars. Yay! <laughs> I know you guys like my sound effects better than the real ones. Anyway, <laughs> I really enjoyed this episode. It was a deep breath. It was needed to push the plot forward and really prepare characters for what was to come. And the character, the actor performances is really what stood out for me in this episode. They really um, left it all on the table, all on the floor um, during each cut. And I, you know, I was just, it was just exactly what I feel like the show needed. It needed that moment. It cannot be swashbuckling and trollic fighting and running and Aes Sedai battles every single episode. The books are not even like that. There are long stretches of just exposition and explanation and 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 travel there's a lot of travel in the book so um they're staying true in that in that way and giving us an opportunity to really learn who our characters are um and um setting them up so four out of five stars for me for this episode Twitter me laughing. And then we're going to, so we're going to feature some tweets that I found funny, interesting, delightful about the Wheel of Time show itself. And some will reference specific episodes, but in this particular, particular segment for this episode, it's just going to be a little bit of everything. All right. So first up at Fuel Fear, tweeted, it's Watt Thursdays, hashtag Wheel of Time, getting excited for later, so thought I'd come to Twitter of Time to scream and be happy with fellow nerds who understand, I feel you, that's what I be doing, daily, sis. At GayLady85 tweeted, hashtag Twitter of Time, you okay? I can't watch episode six until tomorrow evening. It's currently today's evening. I'm sad and impatient, leaving Twitter until I've watched it with my sweet parents. Take care of yourself, you thirsty bitches. Hashtag, hashtag the wheel of time. Hashtag watch show spoilers. Hashtag watch spoilers. And it is, she adds pictures or screen grabs of episode six. At Flynn underscore Dahmer tweeted, that's a character name, by the way. Tweeted, trying not to react when non-readers accurately guess things in the Wheel of Time show. And it's a gif from Jurassic Park when the raptor, like, finds the hunter. I cannot remember his name. And I've seen that movie. I've read the books. I've seen the movie. Can't remember. I can't believe I can't remember his name. And when he's like, clever girl. Like, it's like respect. <laughs> right? And I feel the same way. Every time somebody, a non-reader, guesses something accurately, I'm like, okay, okay, I see you. All right, you got that. At Super Gride tweeted, I'm a little too obsessed. Hashtag Wheel of Time. Hashtag Twitter of Time. And it is a screen grab from episode six. And it says, it's like Perrin lying, Egwene and Moraine, and she's touching him. It's like the Wheel of Time. His show is Perrin, Egwene is the person, and her family is Moraine, just staring at her like, what are you doing? At Great Audra Sitter tweeted, somebody pointed out to me that Abdul Salas 13 
am involved at, has only had like 13 minutes of screen time, screen time total. And we all have such strong feels about him already. That says so much about his talent. Very true. Very, very true. I hate him and I'm glad to do it. It is what it is. Prime Video tweeted, the award for sickest burn on the Wheel of Time episode five goes to Nynaeve Almera, where she's talking to Leandrin and she's like, you hate men. And Leandrin is like, is that a question or a statement? Heffa, you know what it is. It's both. It is what it is. And then finally, Robert Sky tweeted, get ready to lose your bloody minds, goat kissers at the Wheel of Time, episode six. Brains will flaming explode. Hashtag Twitter of time. Hashtag the Wheel of Time. I'm excited for episode six. And I really wanted to get this episode recorded and done so that I could actually settle down and enjoy my evening as I prepare to watch. That's it for me, folks. That was my episode five review of The Wheel of Time. And I really, really hope that you guys enjoyed it. Definitely watch the episode before you are actually over here listening. And I will see you next week for my review of episode six. It's your girl, Nikki, signing out, also known as your besties. Bye.